Hi everyone. Welcome to Danger on Delmarva. My name is Rhonda Franny Jefferson and thank you for taking some time out to listen. I hope everyone is having a Delmarvelous day so far. If you're new to this podcast, I explore events that happen on or are related to the Delmarva Peninsula. This peninsula includes Delaware and the eastern shores of Maryland and Virginia, hence Delmarva. The events may be natural or man-made disasters, true crime, or as in today's episode, oversights that led to accidents of the unusual kind. Today, we're going to explore highway hijinks. Before I begin on the topic, just a couple of things. This podcast reflects my personal interest in true crime, disasters, and more importantly, the exploration of how or why an event occurred to try to understand the reasoning behind the acts and decisions of others. I mean no disrespect to any parties mentioned in the podcast. I have obtained facts for this through all publicly available sources from the internet, YouTube, and any other documentaries available. In some cases, personal observations about the area or knowledge about certain areas or events may be discussed. This podcast is produced for informational purposes, and as I have gleaned the information from publicly available sources, I cannot guarantee that everything involving accuracy, completeness, or validity. I or my podcast cannot be held responsible for any errors, misinformation, and time delays i.e. there are further updates after the publication of this podcast. As a warning, each episode may discuss injury, death, emotional, and mental health and may contain triggers regarding various instances. Opinions expressed are based on information from these articles. Also, I want to mention something that I'm learning a little bit more about as I produce this and another podcast. Leaving a review or a rating helps others find the podcast easier. So please, if you enjoy this podcast, check your podcast app or website used to listen to see if they have the option to rate or review. If not, there is a direct way to do so on Podbean, which is the host for this podcast. The link will be in the description of this episode. I would also like to thank members of the Reddit group Delaware, Local Opossum, and Kittle Herder for the ideas today. This episode may be a little long, so if I find that it is getting extremely lengthy, I will split it into two parts. So each day, billions of people across the globe use a motor vehicle to one degree or another, whether it is mass transit, mopeds, bicycles, and individual vehicles. Some vehicles are made for the sole purpose of moving people, such as buses. There are also vehicles that are needed to keep commerce running smoothly. Some vehicles that enter our highways every day are relatively tiny, with an average motorcycle weighing only 700 pounds. Remember everyone, wear your helmets. And if a certain nephew of mine is listening and you know who you are, you better wear it. Other vehicles are enormous, with an average tractor trailer weighing 30,000 pounds before any cargo is loaded. 
With such a vast discrepancy between vehicle sizes and types, each driver needs to pay attention to what they're doing, but also take some responsibility for other drivers and watch out for what others do to try to keep everyone protective, protected. But even by taking every precaution possible, things may still happen that are beyond your control, and these accidents happen. So today, join me for this highway hijinks. First, I know that my three previous episodes were a little intense in subject matter. Today will be a little bit lighter. However, any accident on the roads holds the potential for injury and property damage, either from an initial impact to an accordion effect seen in dense traffic where cars are extremely close to each other. There's also the rubberneck effect where accidents occur as people try to get a closer, closer look. These three, or make that four, as I found another while researching stories, will offer up a few different examples of not-so-traditional accidents, each with their unique potentials for further damage. Warning, please be prepared for a flood of puns. If you're from Delaware, or even driven through the two lower counties especially, you may have noticed that we have quite a few chickens around. Personally, I had pet chickens when I was young, Larry, Moe, Curly, and Baloney. While I loved Baloney, many others believed that he was not a very nice chicken. He hated my brother's good friend that lived across the street. My mother heard a yell after this neighbor had knocked on the door one day. She looked outside to see Baloney chasing this neighbor down the middle of the road. But I digress. The University of Delaware even boasts the blue hen as its mascot, and the state also has a breed of chicken named after it. The economic health of the state is intrinsically linked to the health of the poultry industry. Some of the following stats are based on 2015 to 2018 numbers. Delaware is interesting in the fact that while it's the sixth most densely populated state, we are only 45th by the number of people. So this means if someone looked at the numbers out of context, it may seem that we have a very small number of people, so we must have acres and acres of open land. But no, there are more people per square mile than 44 other states. This is due in part because we are the small, second smallest state, so we're packed into a much smaller area. The facts that over 39% of the state's land is used for agriculture and that chickens outnumber humans 200 to 1 makes this number even more interesting. So being from Delaware, I'm very used to passing trucks hauling chickens. So let's get ready to have our feathers ruffled. On February 14, 2006, a tractor trailer carrying chickens overturned on a Delaware highway. As my husband said when I relayed this to him, I guess some people had chicken for Valentine's Day dinner that year. Yeah, I know. It, it was almost too perfect, though. But similar accidents occurred on August 14, 2014, and October 12, 2016, and December 12, 2017, July 6, 2018, July 23rd, 2020, and I think you get the drift. 
I apologize to any chickens if I left your accident out. But after this, I bet that if you're ever beside or behind a chicken truck in Delaware on the highway, or anywhere for that matter, you may try to find a way to get away from it quick. You have been warned. But in all honesty, statistically this does make sense. Given the number of chickens, chicken farms, and the population density, having the occasional or more than occasional mishap on the roads is to be expected. Headlines on these events ranged from chickens blamed for chicken truck crash to chicken truck overturns on Delaware Highway, birds sent flying. As there were so many to choose from, I decided to focus on the most interesting yet least punny headline. A Boston newspaper reported that the delay may have potentially ruffled some commuters' feathers with minor delays in the 81414 crash. A Philadelphia news outlet stated that no injuries were reported in the crash, but it is unknown if that tally is just for humans or if it includes the chickens. According to the news journal, Dover police believe the crash was caused when the truck's cargo shifted, which, as one article stated, would indicate that the chickens themselves somehow caused the crash. A jail, a jailbreak perhaps? There was no word on how many chickens escaped into the chaos, nor if they did so by crossing the road to get to the other side. What I did find, or not find in these articles, was follow up on the causes. I did not find any articles dated more than one day after the incident. So the only thing I found is some mentions of shift in cargo. And another said the truck lost control on a curve, but that was the extent of the reporting. If you are unfamiliar with the setup of a bird hauler, for lack of any other term, it is normally a series of cages stacked one on top of the other. I can see that if a curve is particularly steep and the birds start to shift to one side of the truck, it would make the load unsteady. These cages do tend to be rather large and wide, so that would mean a higher number of chickens were sent to one side. But what I also found was a sense of relief that this was not any of the accidents that I read about while researching this one, such as an accident that involved sardines, slime eels, and even vegetable oil. These all happened in other areas, and I'm very thankful for that. Because seriously, if I spill vegetable oil on my floor, it seems like I have to mop and clean for days to completely get rid of it. I'll post the link in the description that provides a little bit of hilarity to some of these accidents, as long as you were not the person in the car behind any of these trucks. Delaware highways, for the most part, are pretty straight. Delaware is also not a large state as previously stated, taking only about two hours to drive from north to south, depending on one speed. I take about two and a half hours. I've been told I drive like a little old woman, and I take no offense in that. I like to be attentive. But even with a relatively short stretch of land to cross, it seems that we do attract a variety of the odd accident. To me, this may be because the corridors that lead to and include part of the 95s, I-95, 295, 
495 are all through the state of Delaware. So one day while en route to the Philadelphia Mint on September 8, 2016, a truck driver veered to the right, hit a concrete barrier and skidded along before coming to rest, but not before spilling 45,000 pounds of unstamped pennies all over the highway. The truck did partially turn over and also caught fire. The accident occurred shortly before 2 a.m., so at least the initial cleanup and accident investigation did not delay traffic at that point, but as rush hour approached, there was still much cleanup to do. One lane was able to be opened, but the cleanup took almost 13 and a half hours. Motorists were encouraged to take other routes. Well, this is fine if you are a local, but this was on the I-95 corridor as I-95 split to 295. Many people take this as a throughway with no intent on taking any other route. This was definitely not the way many people start, wanted to start their day. As with the previous accidents, not much was reported afterwards. So the following information as to why I think the accident occurred is my opinion. So to be clear, I am not stating this as fact, but looking at the time of the accident um, and that one article just referred to it as veering to the right for an unknown reason has led me to believe a couple of things. I also do watch many documentaries and learn from them. I've seen documentaries where circadian rhythms were involved in the accidents. According to an article from the Sleep Foundation, circadian rhythms are the 24-hour cycles that are part of the body's internal clock, running in the background to carry out essential functions and processes. One of the most important and well-known circadian rhythms is the sleep-wake cycle. Our bodies also naturally adjust to meal schedules to meet our needs. More than humans have circadian rhythms light or lack thereof can play a part too. These rhythms help nocturnal animals stay nocturnal. Plants have circadian rhythms with an example being that some flowers open and close at certain points in the day. Some of the sentences that I just repeated were direct quotes while others were summations. In humans, a deviation from the natural rhythm can be devastating especially if you work in any type of transportation industry. I've seen documentaries on at least two different plane crashes that were impacted by circadian rhythms. For future um, reference, I am going to refer to these as CRs. CRs help keep us awake during the day because as it sends energy signals when there's light. At night, it causes the body to produce melatonin. Some of us may have heard about this as an over-the-counter sleep aid. So again, as only my opinion, I have to wonder if or how sleep cycles affected this accident. This happened at almost two o'clock in the morning, which is when most people are asleep. There are rumble strips everywhere in that part of the state. So my first inclination is that he started to fall or was asleep when hitting these rumble strips caused him to wake veering sharply and causing the accident. 
The transportation of any type of cargo is essential to an economy, and many shipments on the road happen at night as there is normally less traffic. While I guess some trekkers may adjust over time to driving at night, I can believe that it must be hard to stay awake when your body is hardwired to be asleep at 2 a.m. So now we've had poultry and we've had pennies scattered throughout the Delaware highways. What could be next? I still am thankful that we did not have the accident involving 24 tons of sardines that I mentioned earlier, but I can imagine that this next incident had people buzzing. Okay, so this was a bad play on words, and admittedly, one of the articles that I saw said something along these lines. So, have you guessed what was next? Bees. Many bees. Many, many, many bees. I don't think that I can say the word many enough times to convey this. 20 million bees. 20 million. If I had happened upon that crash, especially if I knew that chickens, you know, regularly turned over chicken trucks and there were pennies recently scattered all throughout the state, I may have thought that Armageddon was among us. It was reported that the swarm was so big that first responders could not get close. Speaking of responders, I guess this one went to what we might want to call second responders after the first responders saw the need to call them. On May 21st, 2014, for the first time since its inception, 14 years prior to the accident, Delaware activated its bee swarm removal plan. And as a side note, one of the chicken accidents and the penny accident happened in 2014. That was not a good year for truck drivers carrying cargo through the first state. So, also at first, I didn't really know if I should be concerned that I live in a state that has a bee swarm removal plan because they must have thought at some point in time we have so many trucks carrying bees through the state that we might need one one day. Or thankful that the state had so much foresight Given the response to this accident, I'm definitely going to go with thankful. The bee removal plan involves having experienced beekeepers and firefighters in protective suits spraying water to disperse the bees. The responders did not expect to capture the bees, but found that dispersal was the best plan. No one was seriously hurt, but the driver and two passengers experienced anywhere from 50 to 100 stings each. I've been stung by one bee and thought that the pain was excruciating. I cannot begin to imagine 100 stings. They were taken to a hospital for treatment. The European honeybees were en route from Florida to Maine. They were going to be part of a pollination program in Maine. Paul Dill, a beekeeper, told CBS Philadelphia, they've been traumatized. They can get a little irritable. And, you know, really, I can understand that. Who wants to be in a truck that overturns, setting our whole bodies in motion? But then again, they're bees, so they're usually in motion. Drivers were told to keep their windows up, and signs lit up the highway warning of bee swarms. I wonder how many people wondered if this was for real. It took 12 hours for the cleanup. 
Officials did not feel that getting stung was more of a concern that day than any other time, except in the immediate vicinity of the crash. The dispersal would help alleviate these concerns. There were some bees that did not escape, so one of the beekeepers that was on call to help with the removal held the hives until they could be transported to Maine. The cause of the accident was the same as the chicken, shifting cargo. The driver was cited for transporting unsafe shifting cargo. Any accident has the potential of injury and damage. While this incident may not seem serious to some, with our minds possibly going to TV shows or movies that might have used a swarm of bees as part of the plot, often with the victim running covered in bees, in this case, that quite literally happened. The three vehicle occupants were found running down the road, swarmed in bees. While officials did not feel that there was the increased chance of being stung outside of the immediate vicinity, as someone who suffers from a number of different allergies, though not from bees, my immediate thought went to anyone who might have this allergy. I went to elementary school with a girl who was severely allergic. Also, she was, quite literally, the first person I ever met outside of my family and medical staff when I was born. Her mother and mine shared hospital rooms after our births, so we were very close in age to say the least. But at school, we, the students, knew about her allergy. This was not to invade her privacy, but rather for her protection. If we saw a bee, we would let a teacher know so that they could take her inside if we were at recess. So outside of the toll on the resources for cleanup, delays in traffic, impact to a pollination program, and pain of the bee stings to the people in the truck, there's also a potential of someone in the vicinity being stung. And if that person happened to have an allergy, it could be catastrophic. So again, with any accident, even if on the outset it might seem like it's funny, there is always that potential for danger. While researching the three cases, I found two things. One was that I am definitely not the first person to put all of these accidents together and present them in one place. However, an article from October 2016 caught my eye. It was from WHYY, a local public broadcast channel. The title was Bees, Pennies, Chickens, Now Cows Involved in Delaware Accidents. Did I mention that Delaware's land is 39% agricultural? Yeah. So the cattle calamity happened at an I-95-141 interchange. I personally don't like 141. I would always miss the turnoffs that I need. I don't live in that part of the state anymore, but I used to and still sometimes have to go up to that part of the state. But thank you, GPS. You have made my life more bearable when I do have to make that trip. But that's another topic. So this accident, as the others, happened at night. Again, a good time to haul. The trailer wasn't closed, so none of the cows escaped. That would have made for a sight, though a state trooper and a fireman trying to negotiate with Bessie to turn around and go back to the truck, but that did not happen with any of the 15 cows. Unfortunately, three cows were killed in the accident. 
but the driver was not injured. So while there was no injury to humans, still three beings lost their lives in this accident. But this was serious. A pet removal company did take charge of the remaining animals and remove them from the trailer. But, you know, kind of looking at it from the pet removal company's, you know, viewpoint, I wonder if the person who took that call thought, when I took this job, I did not expect cows to be considered a pet. But then again, I did have pet chickens, so I guess I can't really say anything about livestock as pets. But as with our other live hauls, it seems that the crash was caused by an imbalance. The driver was cited for operating an improperly loaded vehicle. It took six hours to complete the removal of the cows and clean up. So since this accident was for much the same reason as the previous ones discussed, I wanted to dig a little deeper. I was surprised when my poorly worded search of statistics on tractor trailer crashes with imbalanced live loads brought up results. I just really didn't know any other way to phrase it. So what I did find was about 4% of vehicles involved in tractor trailer accidents had a cargo shift that unsafely shifted the balance of the truck. I would have thought that the number was higher based on the accidents that I've covered. But after thinking a little more, I realized that most accidents involving trucks probably won't make major headlines unless there's a fatality or something unusual happens. All of the accidents that occur with minor injuries or little to no property damage aren't reported. This, this article went on to further state that in many cases, however, drivers cannot avoid truck accidents entirely. Tire failures, brake problems, road issues, and cargo shifts may occur without warning leaving drivers struggling to respond appropriately. But I wonder, is some of this being classified as cannot avoid truck accidents entirely correct? There is wear and tear on certain parts of the vehicle, such as tires, that should be checked regularly, though it is possible to run over something that creates a new tire problem. But brakes and cargo shifts should be things that are addressed previous or prior to the trip, at least in my opinion. How often are the brakes inspected? What type of tests are run? And what steps are taken to make sure that live hauls are loaded properly and securely with leeway for cargo shifts? For one thing, live haul, meaning things such as livestock, are not static. They do move and so we should expect some shifts, though you know, with cows compared to chickens, of course, if one cow shifts, that's a much higher weight. But when you look at trucks that are hauling chickens, there are hundreds if not thousands of chickens on each truck. So I'm not an engineer, but I have seen chicken crates. I've seen the trucks hauling the chickens. I also know that proper loading of cargo is important, especially in these live hauls. To emphasize this importance, cargo planes ranging from the standard civilian to military have load officers or engineers. Their job is to make sure that everything is loaded properly, taking center of gravity and other variables such as shifting into account. 
They also have guidelines for number, of number and placement of straps, depending on the cargo. An off-balance or unsecured item in a cargo bay of a plane can and has led to catastrophic consequences. So for planes, they have specific people in charge and trained to look at the load balance. So going back to the chicken trucks, I wonder if using smaller crates would help. Again, not an engineer here, but having a large crate that's very wide where the chickens shift in mass to one side would have a bigger impact than having a number of smaller crates with fewer chickens within each crate where fewer chickens are shifting at one time in each crate. I know that there's still going to be a shift, but what would be the difference in this case is instead of the crate that may cover one quarter of the back of the truck as far as width, it would now be possibly one eighth or even one sixteenth of the size so the chickens have a much smaller area to shift in. You know, again, I'm not really familiar with engineering and weight loads, but just based on you know, my experiences where driving a car, you know, I wonder if that would actually make a difference. You know, I have a large trunk and if I had things in the back of my trunk that were mobile, um, I used to bowl on a bowling league and a couple times when I had my bowling ball in the trunk, it would you know, move drastically and I could feel the shift in weight. But when I contained it to a certain area that was much smaller, I didn't feel it as much. Also, which should be standard policy, I would hope that people make sure everything is securely um, and properly secured. Even though cages and hives are not ordinary cargo, and some may have open areas such as the cages, the cargo should be secured from all sides. Again, not an engineer, but just my thoughts while I was reading the articles. So to end on a little bit of even a lighter note, animal issues do not just happen with trucks in Delaware, it seems. Back in November of 2017, a family member sent me a picture. I recognized the background to be one of our local elementary schools um, about three minutes from my house. And there was something else in the picture. I enlarged it, not sure what to make of it. So, you know, of course, enlarging a picture takes away some of the clarity in it. But I finally texted him back, is that an emu or an ostrich? It was an emu. Apparently, Mr. Emu, or Ms., had been spotted in the area over the last month. He or she was finally able to be fenced in at the school, giving the police time to contact the appropriate agency to handle the emu. He was guarded by police until Three Palm Zoo was able to make it to the area and assist in his removal. Many, and I mean many, many, many people came to see the emu. He was a local celebrity. I'm just glad that there was a zoo in pretty close proximity that could assist. I mean, I know that we have animal control, but emu is not on their normal list of animals to handle. Or at least that's what I thought. Much to my amazement, 
the search of Emu on the Loose, Delaware, brought up another, even more interesting story. In November, again, but of 2015, two schools were put into a soft lockdown because of a runaway emu. A grandfather named Drew Hurst of one of the students was a little skeptical when his grandson told him of the incident that occurred. His response was, you weren't allowed to go play in school because a giant bird was running around in your playground and it was being chased by police. I think we can see why Mr. Hurst questioned that a little. Unlike in Seaford, where it took about a month to capture the bird, it was months and months for his fellow feathered friend in the northern part of the state in Townsend. The schools affected were Spring Meadow as well as Old State Elementary School. Parents did receive a letter to notify them that while there was an incident with an emu, the students were, um, were kept safe inside, but everything did go on business as usual inside of the building. The same zoo, Three Palm Zoo, was involved with trying to capture the bird. Concern about either bird was that they could cause an accident. And while the obvious reason for some accidents, such as a driver trying to swerve while an emu was in the road, I have to wonder if other accidents would happen because a driver saw a giant bird standing on the shoulder and become distracted. I mean, I actually had this vision in my mind of Limu the emu and Doug trying to drum up business for Liberty Mutual when the emu just said, I'm out of here. I don't get paid enough for this. Plus I have to work with this guy. And so he just took the chance to run. But I think that was before Doug and Limu were together. So this might've actually been Doug's first partner. I don't know. Or maybe I just see way too many of those commercials. So reading through a number of articles, there were emus on the loose in a number of different states. So if you are going to own an exotic pet or any pet really, please make sure that you take precautions and make sure that it stays safe and that it keeps others safe. The lesson that we should take from this is always be aware of your surroundings and keep appropriate distances. Though in cases of accidents, the truck driver's responsibility is to keep his or her truck as safe as possible. We do not always know if that's the case or what's happening inside the cab. As seen in these examples, you never know what may happen on a roadway. Watch out for yourself, stay attentive, and if you see birds on the side of the road, whether chickens or emus, please don't let them distract you. So thank you everyone for tuning in today. The topic for the next episode will definitely be heavier, but I hope you enjoyed our venture into these more unusual happenings on the highways. I look forward to sharing another story in two weeks and we were actually able to get this to a length where it was only one part. So I'm happy about that. And I hope everyone has a safe and happy week. Talk to you next time.